לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. חנוכה And, uh, but we know that in the synagogue calendar, this is Parshat Mikens, we have a special Haftarah, which we might uh, dip into in a, in a moment or later on this, in this uh, podcast recording presentation. Mikens, we are in Egypt with Joseph. Joseph is in jail. Okay, if you're familiar with the play, he's in jail. Poor, poor Joseph. What you going to do? But he thinks he, <laughs> he, he knows that things are going to change for him. The, the Parsha starts with, uh, I mean, I, you know, it, it kind of cues us into this because it says, It's two years, two years of days. What a great expression. When, when you are in jail, two years of days are two years of days. It, it goes by pretty slowly. But when, when you're in love, like... Uh, Like Jacob was for Rachel right the days go by like nothing okay I just made that sermon on the spot by the way that was very nice and and I would would like to hear more about your your incarceration experience so <laughs> <laughs> I have not had an incarceration <laughs> but <laughs> but I have I have visited uh people I, can, I, can I tell you something I I uh, early in the Trump administration I participated in an act of civil disobedience and I was I Uh, it was it was extremely well done it was planned out well you know there was an arrest and but the the, the police were anticipating and there was a uh a very it, was, it went it went great it went great and I had about you know like about eight or ten hours in 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 the can with about ten other rabbis and let me tell you something that was the longest night of my life <laughs> <laughs> well you know it it this can we just go in there for a second not that there but but I'm saying you know many of our viewers and listeners have not had the experience of you know being close to a jail I mean we've seen you know we may have gone on a tour and seen things but uh I actually visited a congregant in jail um and um it's you know jail is jail jail is not a You know, even, even a white color I, I okay so if I could wax harmonic for a moment in light of what you said Jeremy about your longest night which I thought was the night that the Titanic sank <laughs> that that's why it's better to talk Torah than to listen to rabbits yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so it was two years of days and there's there's Pharaoh he's having dreams okay and go listen to the 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 play. 
and you'll get the dreams. But, you know, I want to say to people, and I'm doing this for my Parsha sheet this week, is that if you pay attention to the way Faro, where the narrator tells the dream and the way Faro relates the dream, there are little subtle differences. And I just, not that I want to give examples of it, although there's, you know, one example that, that comes to mind. He says, I am standing on the Nile, Al-Hayor, that's the narrator says, on the Nile, and then the the when Pharaoh relates it, he's al Hayor. Now this this may seem to you to be... Translate, translate. So he says that he is on the Nile, the narrator is on the Nile, but when Pharaoh relates this, he's on the banks of the Nile, okay? So on the banks of the Nile is different from on the Nile. When you're on the Nile, that's very mythological. That is like, you, you are in the Nile. There's a certain identification of Pharaoh and the Nile. But when he is telling the story, he's saying, I am on the banks of the Nile, and I see the cows come up from the Nile and move to the shoreline, and to, to they, they're basically going to graze on the grassland in the, on the shore. That that kind of has a it makes a lot of sense, okay. But the 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 when the narrator tells the story at the beginning, it's the pharaohs on the Nile. It makes no sense whatsoever. Now, of course, you can interpret on the Nile on the back of, but you know. And here, I want to ask, you know, the the Torah wants to teach us how to read the Torah. And the so Torah, I think what's important the details. That's what I'm saying. The details. What, what's important here is to remember that our pharaoh this week. And next week is also the pharaoh of Shemot. It'll be a different man, but it's the same office. And, you know, one of the tensions that run through Sefer Shemot is who is pharaoh? We're taught, I think, some of us to believe that pharaoh sees himself as a god. And yet he's a man. And so there's this tension that plays itself out. And it's already adumbrated, foreshadowed here, because if he's on the Nile, then he's like he's a god. god. Right. But it's interesting that the narrator tells us that. Isn't right? that Pharaoh himself portrays himself as on the bank because maybe in his heart he knows he's really a human. But that's what I agree with you. I think that he's he's he wants to come off, he humanizes himself. He wants to because he wants to be taken seriously. Because if I say you know, I see myself on that. I'm standing on that aisle. It's like, you know, come on. Like, but but he wants to be taken seriously. And that's why he, he already adds a layer of interpretation, you know, in, in terms of the the way he relates the dream. And one more little thing there. It says the, the cows are Vine Shav Sheva Parot. Sorry, Vine Minayor Olot. Here from the Nile arises Sheva Parot, seven cows, Yefot Mare Uvriot Basar. Beautiful to look at, beautiful in appearance, uvreot basar, uh, very, plump. very healthy, plump, okay? Softing. And when 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 he relates it, later on, verse uh, 18, he says, Vine minayor olot sheva parot briot basar viafot toar. Not quite the same. It's that there are very, uh, they're full, briot basar, that's the, the same uh, expression, but it's yefetoar, that they're good of beautiful of form. There's a difference between yefetmar'e, beautiful to look at, and yefetoar, beautiful in shape. And the difference is 
Yefeh Tor is objective. Yefeh Mareh is the appearance that, that is to say, someone looking at it. And I'll give you two examples. I just did a little deep dive into this because who are, I'm going to quiz you guys, okay? Who are the other characters that are that are referred to as Yefeh Toar and Yefeh Mareh? Wait, anybody in this story? Anybody in this story? Not in yes. Joseph. Anybody in the story? Of course. Joseph and Rachel. Joseph and Rachel are both referred to and as Sarah. good in appearance and good of form. Okay. And um so I would think that that means I would think that that suggests um and uh, this may not be the only example that the dreams are about Joseph. The dreams uh, are at least partly about Joseph. Nice. Okay. So the, the cows and the and the corn represent in the midst of, you know, as Joseph himself does, coming out of jail to provide some rescue. So that, you know, in the dark, in the dark situation, lo and behold, actually, there's a guy who is, as the parsha said last week, Ish Matzliach, he's successful in all that he does. He's just mad. He's got the magic touch. And the cows themselves represent something of that magic touch. That's stunningly beautiful, because if the cows who come out of the Nile are Joseph, they prefigure Moshe, who also comes out of the Nile. Nice, nice, nice. Nice, nice, very nice. Well, I would go a different place with that, just, you know, which is that when you dream... Go to some other river. Try the Congo. <laughs> when you dream, like, I don't know if this is Freud or Young, but you're, you're, every, you're every character in your dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's Young or that's Freud? One of our listeners, please tell us. You, you, we have a couple of psychologists watching this, okay, listening to this. You know, dream interpretation certainly, you know, is is to be able to see something that you can recognize. And so Pharaoh, you know, back to, he doesn't want to be recognized as a god or wants to humanize himself. And maybe, you know, and, and I saw somewhere that, that already cows represent year in Egypt, whatever. Okay. The point is that Joseph, you know, that the, the, the way that Pharaoh relates the dream is just slightly different from the way the narrator relates the dream. And from that, we get we can get the story within the story within the story. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, we, we, we can teach the Bible on the, the, the level of narrative, right? What a great story. Oh, man. This is the best story to tell your children. It's the best story as a as a as a storyteller. We talked about that last week. But underneath the great story, in all the details, are other stories. There are stories within stories, and the the story within the story here is the story of who is this man Pharaoh? Who is this man Joseph? And what's the relationship? Now, now of course, in in when when Pharaoh has the dream and his Khartoumim, his his magicians can't answer it. So we say, you know, like we, we talked about him last year, the Sarha Mashkim, the, the cupbearer says, I want to recall my, my sins to you today, right? And um, he says, when we were in jail, you know, there was this Jewish kid in us and, and, and he, went, he was able to interpret our dreams and Pharaoh basically chucks aside the Sarha Mashkim, they haul Joseph up, and and uh, they shave him down and they change his clothing. Okay. So what I want to say, there's a great contrast here between Joseph and Pharaoh. So Pharaoh, what what makes him human? What makes him human is that he can't understand the dreams. Exactly. Exactly. And Joseph then might make a claim to be God because he can resolve the dream, solve the dreams, but he attributes it to God. 
So, so Pharaoh is the image of Pharaoh, I think for many Egyptians, is this godlike figure. And Joseph's image is that God gives us the answer or the means to the answer, but we're not God. Okay, so I want to ask you guys, and we didn't talk about this before, so I want you to help me work this out because he is, we've said, he's amazingly talented, he's, he's, and, and he's got a hush, he's got a sense for how to interpret it. Some people can really do that. Some people have a gift, and he's got a gift, okay? So when he says, and this is chapter 41, verse uh, verse 15, right? Verse 15 and, and 16. He's, uh, so Pharaoh says, he says to, Pharaoh says to him, Chalom, chalamti, I've dreamed a dream. There's no one to explain it. I heard about you. Did you hear dreams and you were able to interpret them? So Joseph says, God will answer to Pharaoh. Okay? So um, my question is, Come on, yeah, really? Is that what is he saying that, or does is he just trying to disguise his own talent? He's been humbled by the jail experience, and he knows he has talent. And is he is he is this whole thing basically his knowledge of what he's capable of, or would you say there's authentic piety here? And I'm dubious of the authentic piety, and I'm going to all the way to this, the extreme of saying he's a very smart kid, very smart kid. Well, he, he clearly is a very smart kid because when when he begins to say to, uh, to you know, Pharaoh how to respond to this, to this uh, dream message that he's received, he says, you know, he says very, very cleverly, um, uh, um, Pharaoh, you know what you need to do? You yeah. need to find a person, Ish Navon and you should put him on top of and you should take the person who's really wise, who's really discerning, and if you see anybody who's here who fits that bill, you might give him <laughs> all the power, and and so that that he very cleverly puts himself in position to get the senior role, but I think that there is. A quality of genuine piety here, um, and that is that in the following way, which is that um, I don't think that people in the Bible, not just Joseph, I don't think people in the Bible, the Nevi'im in the Bible, the the other charismatics and spiritually gifted people in the Bible or in tradition, uh, make a really rigid distinction between the inspiration that they receive, the the connection with the divine that they receive, and their and their own talents, you know. Like nowadays in the world, people might say, "Well, God didn't, God didn't do this. I did this. I worked hard. I thought. I, I practiced." I, I, uh, I think that that the religious sensibility of the Torah is that the that if a person has a gift um, and can use it skillfully, that there's no rigid distinction between what God did and what I did. So, so I, think I would offer when he says. So when he says last week. You know, Lelohim Pitronim, that the that dream decipherment belongs to God. And he says it now. It means you know, he God, has mushrooms to help him decipher. He might have some mushrooms. Um then he, he is saying, you know, Baruch Hashem, I, I'm I'm plugged in on this one. Yeah, okay. so I wanna okay, offer a slightly different interpretation because what distinguishes Joseph from other prophets is that there in many prophets there's 
a very strong resentment or resistance to being a prophet. Joseph is all in. He doesn't say, we'll send why did else. you pick me, God? Yeah. He said, wow, look at me. But to address Elliot's point, I think that I was asked recently to distinguish eisegesis from exegesis. And exegesis is when we read out from the text. Eisegesis is when we read in. And I think your question, Elliot, ultimately leads to eisegesis because we bring to Joseph our own reading before we look at the text because we don't know and we can never know. You know, is David a pious person? Can a man who commits adultery and arranges murder really be pious? Well, I think a lot of people would say no, but they would also say King David was pious. So, so this, is, this you're, what you're saying calls to mind that that great expression, the drash is what you say the Torah means, and pshat is what I say the Torah means. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, you know, on your question, Barry, I would say that you know that's what makes David a human being, and and you know that's he's he's a fully formed character in the you know perhaps the greatest character in the entire Tanakh. You know? He's a little too much like Henry the Eighth for either of their good. Okay, fine. So, but but. But here, what I, you know, and it's, I'm trying to read the whole Torah this way, which is to say, the question of is it all, you know, you you asked this question before we started recording, which is, well, why does he have to have this famine, and why does he have to do that? Why is God doing all these things? And I'm saying that within the eyes of the characters themselves, you know, they're they're not putting to it. They're living in real time in these things, and they're not putting it together. It's only at the end of the story, spoiler alert, that that Yosef says It's for the sake of life. But but that's 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 like saying, look, the six day war was a miracle, a miracle in six days. If you've read Michael Oren's book on the six day war, you realize, you know, the great revelation to me about that book was that a war, who knows what the hell is going to happen? It's it's the combination of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of choices and events and and all sorts of things that just fall into some kind of outcome that you couldn't predict from the beginning. And so here, this the Bible story could go in any one of infinite ways, but it goes this way. And so from hindsight, they're saying, yeah, it's it's the divine plan. But in the in the spot, it's all about human ingenuity and I would say and their their faith that they have this contact. They have okay. this communication. So uh, let me offer a different reading then. So what makes Joseph different from the patriarchs is that Joseph, I would agree with you, appears as a human being, whereas the patriarchs are more mythological. So they get the direct word of God, and Joseph is kind of fumbling around in the dark. And that's our experience. Right? Most right. of us don't get a direct experience of God. We're looking for signs. And I think, you know, sometimes it strikes me that the Torah is its own countertext because we read a lot of certainty into the stories that in real time cannot be there. Right? Joseph doesn't know that he's going to be rescued. He doesn't know that he's going to become second in command. He might hope it. But he doesn't know it until it actually happens. And then he can look back and see, oh, yes, this was the hand of God all along. You know, there's a, um, there's a you know, this famous story about the, the paradigm heretic in rabbinic literature, Alicia Ben-Avuya, 
uh, who is is you know said to have you know yatsala he he leaves the rabbinic world for some other kind of you know some other kind of life pattern and um, well translate that's not tarbura is not other well that's a, in, in rabbinic parlance you know he goes he goes from the good culture to the bad culture he goes he goes out uh, he goes out from you know religious order and piety to to Greek or whatever it was that he goes out to but there's a story. Um, you know, there are two there are two commandments uh, in which the Bible explicitly says, uh, you know, if you honor your parents, you'll have a long life, and if you uh, shoo the mother bird away from the nest before taking the eggs, you'll have a long life. And Alicia Benavuya is said to have seen uh, one time uh, a father say to a child, "Can you climb up that tree and shoo away the mother bird and 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 take the eggs?" The child is doing both of the mitzvot. For which long life is is promised, and he climbs up the tree, and then he falls out of the tree and breaks his neck and dies. And and Alicia Benavuya says, you know, late den late dayan. There's no there's no judge. There's no judgment. Uh, actually, there's no reward for mitzvot, and the Bible's wrong. And there's maybe a good illustration of the problem that you guys are pointing to right now, which is that Joseph cannot know. He he is like all faithful religious persons, all faithful religious people. He's got a trust, and he's going to keep walking the path, and he's going to try to make it work out. Okay, but can you imagine? You know, he's back and forth, and after the brothers have come, and he sends them back up to Canaan to to bring back Benjamin. They bring Benjamin back down, and he's still manipulating, and he's doing all kinds of. He's yanking their chains in a bunch of different ways. Can you imagine if if in this whole story, you know, when Joseph was first thrown into into the the prison? Uh, there was a bunch of violent guys and they beat him to death. Or, you know, he's he sends the brothers back to Canaan and they're attacked. They're attacked by by uh, jaguars and the panthers in the desert. And there are any number of things that could have come out in the Alicia Benavuya story to frustrate this very clever, well-plotted plan. But that's not how it comes out. And and I think that Joseph is portrayed. I don't I don't, I don't know about the real person thing, but I think that there are a couple of ambivalences that are really very vivid about Joseph, that he is on the one hand, he's got a, he's got a good plan, and, and he's got a plan that is designed to teach the brothers a certain kind of brotherliness and care for each other they didn't have before, and that's part of the plan. Um, and the other thing is that he's tremendously vulnerable, and he's frightened, and he accuses them of being spies because he's afraid of them, because he was because of how they treated him before. And so I like the way that Joseph is portrayed as simultaneously the total master of every event that happens. And he's he's the puppeteer and that he's totally vulnerable and totally frightened. And he's subject to all the stuff that other people are going to do. And that, that to me really describes like, you know, a part of being being human. So so there's so many Nicely put. To, to comment on in there, you know, in terms of in terms of where the faith is, I would I would just take small disagreement with you on on. You know the 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 patriarchs, they also are dealing with the intermittent and sporadic revelations of God, and and it's it if you if you kind of chart out on a graph when God speaks to Abraham and and the length of time that goes by between God speaking to Abraham, it's it's sometimes years years, and so Abraham has to rely on these these sporadic events. And I think that's the greatness of Abraham that that he maintains his faith despite the evidence to the contrary. God promises him, and and then nothing happens. And God will appear to him, you know, years later, and nothing will happen. And so the strength 
is his reliance and his trust, which which God, you know, <laughs> which the Torah accords, you know, in, in, in honors Avram. It says, Vemin Bashem. He he trusts in God. And that's that's his his greatest asset. And in some way, you know, that's that's a defining feature of all the characters that that they're they're in the world, they they have evidence and they have trust. And sometimes they don't even have evidence. And Jake Joseph here has so much to complain about. I think he has been humbled, and yet he's he is so in, in tune with his the art of dream interpretation that he's able to skillfully interpret the dream and 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 manipulate the situation masterfully and then say, you know, it's God. It's God that does it. God gave me the talent to do that, which is like saying Michael Jordan saying, God gave me the talent to throw a ball, which is true, except it also, you know, doesn't account for the thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of practice. Yeah, but that's, I don't, again, I'll just read what I said before. I don't think that as a religious person, I, I don't, I, I don't see a need to, uh, to distinguish those two things. It, it's true. Michael Jordan, you know, has a lot of, as we say, God given talent and, and nobody, you know, if you ever watched a sporting event, you know, lots of people think Jesus was rooting for their team, <laughs> but but I, I but I also think that there's nothing in the Bible, uh, or in not only in the Bible in the stories that it tells, but there's also nothing in our experience that that says you know God does anything without human participants and you know human human uh, uh, partners, and I think that's a pretty good thing about religion. Um, yeah. let, let's let's I want to move move to move to this the moment where. The brothers come down, and and Joseph, in a, in in that split second, decides to be cruel to them. And then they have this little aside, and that's chapter 30, 42, verse 30, 21, where the brothers say, "Ish elachiv," they speak to one another, "Avala alachinu." We are guilty for our about our brother. Asher ra'inu tzarat nafsho, we saw in his torment. When he pleaded with us and we didn't listen. What's the, what's the citation? Tell again. It is 4221. Therefore, that's why we have this, this word, Soros. We are going through hell right now because of what we did. And it's not because of what we did. It's because we didn't listen to him. Right, that's such a. It's I get I get a chill thinking that this is a great a great line because first of all it didn't recount that um, exactly it didn't recount that you know it, when when these things were happening that's not part of the narrative back in uh, in the previous parasha um, but uh, but um, that the just the vividness of he was begging us. And we ignored him. That hard-heartedness is what I said before about Joseph's got a plan, and the plan that he has is all about opening up their hearts to what they've done wrong and making them choose to behave differently. That's the definition of true. Do you not think that there's some settling scores here? I, um... Well, there's that too. I, I mean, but I think he. I mean. He is well positioned, both with Shimon. I mean, so what, what does he do? Our listeners will remember that uh, that the brothers come down, and he accuses them of being spies, and he wants to know all the details about the family. He interrogates them about the family, and he says, "Okay, tell you what, uh, I want you to I want you to go 
back to Canaan with all your food and give it to your father, but I'm going to hold one of you hostage. Yeah. We're going to throw, we're going to throw Shimon in the pit and let's see how you guys handle that this time. And they say, okay, see ya. And they leave Shimon in the pit. <laughs> and, and then the same thing is going to re replicate when Benjamin is accused of theft, uh, wrongly accused of theft. Joseph has framed him. And he says, okay, now I'm throwing Benjamin in the pit. And then this time they say, and that's, this is next week's Parsha, uh, oh, we can't let that happen. So they have learned that when brothers are thrown in pits, you can't let that happen. Well, so we, we're, we're, I, I'm just looking at the clock here. We're, we're almost out of the, the, the time here. But so so let's fast forward to the end, okay? Because the Parsha is going to end on this cliffhanger. And, and talk to me about chapter 44, right? This is where they take Benjamin. Go to verse 13. They tear their cloaks. Oh, um, yeah. That's so great because the last time when they were first jealous, angry, hate each other brothers, they tore Joseph's coat. Now they tear their own coat in grief and guilt. Yeah. Okay. They load up their... And they go back to Joseph's house and Joseph is still there and they fall on their face they fall on their face and so Joseph now we move to the part where Joseph appears like the wizard of Oz okay go ahead take it then so he says don't you know I can conjure up what you've done yeah However you want to translate nachesh nachesh. I can try and then then this classic line verse 16 chapter 44. What are we going to say? Judah says, what are we going to say to our master? What are we going to say? Right? These are words that are now part of the liturgy. He's davening, he's davening Neila. He's davening Neila. He's like, this is the first act of supplication. Such It's so profound in the sense that... Well, it's the second act because Joseph in the pit had the first. Okay, fine. So so, so here... And his prayer wasn't the answer. Here is Judah trying to reverse a, a divine decree. There's so much, you know, folklore kind of funneled in here because, uh, you know, when a, when a sovereign makes an edict, it's, you know, in, in all the folktales, it doesn't get reversed, you know. But here, he, he knows what he's up against, Judah. Right. So this is also was fascinating to me. So when Joseph is thrown in the pit and then sold to the Ishmaelites, Midianites, they punish an innocent person right. now before joseph they realize their sin has been discovered and they want everyone to be punished the guilty as who is presumably benjamin and all the innocents and what does joseph say no only the the rest of you can go free i only want the guilty person yeah and amazing. it's kind of disturbing it's amazing it's an amazing story Okay. Uh, are you going to sign off? Because no, I just want to. Go ahead. No, I just want to say one thing before we sign off, so we can continue this portion. So, oh. so go ahead. No, I, I, I want to say something before we sign off about the date that I was speaking. That we're recording this on the English calendar, and Abraham. Oh, yeah, so, have... so, so here today. So, so say it. Today, today is uh, we're recording this on December twenty second, uh, twenty twenty two. And tomorrow on the English calendar, December 23rd, 1972, or 50 years since Abraham Joshua Heschel's death um, uh, uh, at only age 65, unbelievable, um, 
and uh, the Hebrew anniversary will will fall out um, on uh, in, in January in the month of Tevet. I, I forget exactly 19 the nineteen Tevet. I think it is. Yeah. Which is it? Yud nineteen Tevet. I think. Nineteen nineteen of Tevet. And so I had a class this semester um, in the shul about you know his religious thought, uh, and among the things that we that we looked at. Uh, we watched the video, which probably some of you have seen. This interview done just a week before he died, uh, very vivid about his religious. It was on NBC with the interviewer Carl Stern, and one of the main things that he said is that, um, and and you know, it's actually, it, it's fun. It's funny. This old, you know, Polish Polish Jew, Warsaw Jew with the with a thick thick Yiddish accent, the Bible, the Bible. He's always talking about the Bible. Um, and the main thing about the Bible and is, is that God is is profoundly concerned with humanity. And he says, so like, you know, he, he didn't say, you know, Spinoza said humanity's like way below God's God's radar screen. God's worried about the laws of physics. That's what God should worry about. Not not the widows and orphans in Jerusalem, but that's exactly what God is worried about, the vulnerable. Um, and God, despite the fact that human humanity has lots of failings, Heschel said, God keeps giving you a chance because God expects you to rise to the occasion. And that's not totally disti distinct from the Yosef story, right? God is concerned about this poor guy unjustly imprisoned in Egypt, a paradigm for the people that will be his descendants unjustly Im imprisoned in Egypt, and wants to give people a chance to make this thing right. And that's one of the great, the great core themes um, in in Heschel, that's what it means by God in search of man. So I just, you know, it's, it's uh, here we are on this date, 50 years exactly to the day, minus one day uh, from his death. And um, and to think about that, that affirmation of uh, of of uh, God's trust in humanity and, and human human adequacy to live up to the to the um, to live up to the promise that we actually have. You know, I, I, we could we could spend hours talking about Heschel, but just let me ask you this question: In your mind, in your opinion, do you think that Heschel is getting a, a retread now? Do you think that people are going to rediscover Heschel? I mean, this is quite a momentous milestone—50 years since his passing. You know, or 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 have, have, is he? Uh, is he I, so, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I, I had a teacher when I was at Spiritus College of Judaica, Rabbi Byron Sherwin, who was one of Heschel's disciples. And I remember someone made a comment. Heschel had what we might say four disciples, Seymour Siegel, Wolf Kalman, Sherwin, um Dresner. And oh, but none Arthur of Green, yeah. But none of well, Green hardly knew him. But none That's of them That's not true. I believe that their interchanges were less. Because I was just reading in um the Nachman biography. I don't know that he actually studied with him. But anyway, mm -hmm. it's neither here nor there. The point is that Heschel's disciples didn't have disciples. And then if you count green, then I would, you know, I would retract my remark. But that's what someone said to me many, many years ago. Years ago, that Heschel's disciples didn't have disciples. And but, so oh, it yeah. seems like there's a disjunction in Heschel's thought. Because there is no one to carry it on. I, I um, by the way, I know from Art personally that that they, they may have had some rocky spots in their relationship. Art said that uh, that with Heschel, when I wanted him to be my professor, he wanted to be my rebbe, and when I wanted him to be a rebbe, he wanted to be my professor. Uh, Art, when Art was at the seminary, actually, he he had two basically two classes. He had Gemara and private tutorial with Heschel. Nice, nice rabbinical school, um, but. Uh, 
I think that for me, like just to, to boil Heschel down with the way I think of it, I, I actually don't think Heschel is, is an incredible philosopher. I, I think that it's, he's pretty scattered. I don't think he, he really develop, develops. He's a, not systematic. Uh, but he is the best interpreter of what it is to be a faithful Jew. The best. He, he describes what it's like to do mitzvot, what it is like to live in God's light, what is like what is like to search for God, what is like to find and sometimes not find, the, the feeling of exaltation, the feeling of loneliness. Heschel is just a superior. And, and if you open up any of the books, the books tend to have a short chapter of made up of three or four sub-chapters. And that's true also in Torah Mina Shamayim. And what I think that means is that he is just unparalleledly excellent at presenting one thought at a time. And so, that's not a small thing. Not a small no. thing. You know, I mean, and now we have to conclude, but I would say that one of the things I'm, I'm going to, I take from Heschel is that, that, you know, the, the, among many, of course, the, the, the whole notion of amazement, you know, and that the Torah itself, and here's where we're going to get back to the Parsha, there's amazement that, that, contained within it are the stories and the stories and nested in stories and and simply by putting it under the magnifying glass of of reading interpretation analysis and of course conversation you can unfold and uh, unleash and reveal things that you don't know and things that you never knew and that that's the discovery part i think was was um i think essential to to the amazement that, that uh, he uh, certainly experienced and certainly tried to convey. And we've tried to convey too. And we've reached the end of our time. And, we, and, and, and you know, Elliot, what do you always say as you introduce... It's an amazing Barsha! It's an amazing Barsha! It's an amazing Barsha this week! <laughs> because it is an amazing... It's, it's heartbreakingly amazing. And with that, we're in a cliffhanger because Joseph put Benjamin in jail. What are we going to do? find out next week.